Welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. So in that sense, we have what we call like bridges and ladders, right? That enable students to blossom and flourish. And we also recognize that students develop at different, uh, different speeds at different points in life. Singapore's public education system isn't perfect. It is continuously evolving. And my guest, Edmund Lin, whose voice you just heard, has been part of that evolution for about 30 years. And in this episode, he provides some amazing insights into the commitment to innovation and education that continues to drive Singapore's incredible accomplishments in advancing learning for all students. It's the holiday season. I've got my coffee with eggnog in it, not the spiked kind. I hope you have something or someone that brings you joy near at hand and that this episode lifts your spirits. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, this is Eric Byron with the Education Innovators Podcast, and I'm joined today with Edmund Lim. So Edmund is the Vice President involved in Strategic Partnerships at Classen. He was previously the Asia-Pacific Executive Director of University Partnerships at Thrive DX, a cyber education company. Edmund was a senior vice president of a Singapore company involved in the establishment and management of international schools in Asia. He has also provided consultancy for international schools, ed tech companies, overseas ministries of education, and organizations such as the World Bank. Edmund has experience as a group academic director of five international school campuses in Thailand. He has also worked as the educational director of one of the world's largest aquariums. He was a former principal and vice principal in primary and secondary schools in Singapore. In addition to conducting professional development courses for educators, he has taught in the National Institute of Education, the Gifted Education Program, and various schools. He is a founding council member and former treasurer of the World Association of Lesson Studies. Wow. <laughs> Hi, good morning, Eric. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. So, well, thank you for, for being willing to, to join me here. Um, that's a really impressive bio that you've got, about 30 years of experience in education. But I met you at EdTech Month in Hong Kong here, right, when you were visiting Hong Kong for that. Yeah. And, and then I bumped into you at EduTech Asia Conference. So beyond the, the bio there, I know you're you're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> very, very uh, easy to meet and talk to. And so, well, thank you. Um, what I'm hoping we can start with, though, is a little more personal background. Who are you and, and how did you get into education and, and what, what was the influence there? Well, uh, <laughs> well, basically, I, I enjoy learning, right? I enjoy learning and reading. So that was um, my gateway into education in, in that sense. Uh, right. As a young boy, I, I was very, th- I'm very thankful to my father who introduced to me the world of books and the world of books opened up many different adventures for me. Right. And that was the avenue for, for me for growth and learning. And in a way that uh, I guess triggered or a lifelong love for reading and learning. And as an educator, you have the joy and pleasure of sharing the knowledge the ideas and different approaches to whether 
it's mathematics or English or education technology, different approaches to life. So I guess that started my lifelong journey and adventures in different fields, all related to education and learning. At the same time, it's it's great to have uh, experienced different adventures in different countries and different organizations. So I'm, I'm glad to be here to also share and also journey with you and your listeners on the, on this podcast. Yeah. Great. Well, well, thank you so much for being willing to, to share some of your experience and, and I, I'm sure it's going to be inspirational here. So let's talk about Singapore. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to admit, Okay, I, I'm from Hong Kong, and and Hong Kong's you know public education system is is not too shabby, but you know we all kind of hold Singapore in very high esteem, right? Mm-hmm. And you were with the uh, Ministry of Education there for about 20 years, working in the system, and now in the last you know nine or 10 years or so, contributing to the to the system in another capacity or other capacities. We bounced around a bit, but uh, we can talk about that if you want. But I'm really interested in, say, kind of this perspective, the insider view from Singapore and how they've been so successful there in public education, you know, standards and an evolution, really. So talk to me a little bit about you know, your experience there and, and if there's anything you can kind of touch on that you think is really a key to Singapore's success. <laughs> so that's that's a big question. It is a big question. I'll, I'll share from a personal perspective. Uh, I'm not so I'm not speaking on behalf of the ministry, or but it's more from a, as a as a beneficiary of the system and as somebody who has been part of the system. Then and in, in a way, indirectly, I'm still involved and contributing where I can. So basically, um, education is held in very high regard in Singapore, and it's a key priority. Right, because uh, education is the means in which we nurture. Uh, in in Singapore, we call it molding the future of the nation. It's how we nurture our talents, and people are our primary resource. So it's okay. vital, vital for the survival and success of Singapore as a small, tiny nation state to make the best of the human potential. So education has been held in very high esteem, and a lot of resources has been invested into education. In fact, um, our education minister, it's it's a very important role. So normally, our top ministers are assigned to become education ministers. And together with the system, right, we they seek to constantly improve. So there's this constant desire to improve and enhance the system. So I guess that if we look at it from a historical perspective, we were very fortunate to have had uh, one of our leading founding ministers called Dr. Goh. So Dr. Goh, in the late 70s, he, he helped improve the education system. He initiated reforms and reduced the dropout rate. He worked with a team of uh, very talented people to actually improve the curriculum, enhance the way teacher training uh, is being con- was, was conducted. So there were a series of efforts to actually grow the teaching population, the teacher population to actually improve education uh, in schools, in the universities, all across the spectrum. So in that sense, that actually set a good foundation for the subsequent developments and enhancements that were made. 
And over the years, uh, I guess we, we, we learn from the best practices in different countries. So for Singapore, we are constantly eager to learn. So I remember at one point in my life when I was teaching the National Institute of Education, I would also visit Hong Kong every year to meet with fellow academics, to exchange ideas. I would visit Japan uh, to see what's happening in the schools, to learn from the master teachers there. So it is, there's this ongoing desire to learn from the best practices, to adapt them and apply them in Singapore's context. So we, 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 there's this constant evolution in that sense. So Singapore's system has evolved over the years. Uh, so at, at one point in time, we were also very focused on academic learning. And now we are also expect, we are not now, uh, ten, more than 10 years ago, we have uh, started emphasizing on holistic education, looking at the development of the child, from the perspective of uh, beyond academics, right? Like the arts, the human, uh, sports, music, the aesthetics. So in that sense, uh, we are striving towards the, the development, more bal a balance and development of the, ch the, the, the ch children in addition to the academic pursuit and academic excellence. So, well, uh, it's an ongoing effort. And in, in, in Singapore, we are very fortunate also in the sense that we work very closely in the education system. There's very close collaboration and alignment between schools, the National Institute of Education and the ministry. So there's a lot of support being provided to schools, uh, as to teachers, to students. And, and of course, we, we work closely with the National Institute of Education and the ministry. In addition to that, um, teachers are highly respected. Uh, they have the teachers who join the system. They know that they have a, a, a bright career, right? The career paths are very yeah. clearly marked out. So in that sense, teachers feel that support. They see themselves growing and learning. They are um, encouraged to constantly improve and share and nurture the students well. So in that sense, it's a systemic effort with different factors involved. So it's hard to identify one key factor, but it's multifaceted. And well, we, we hope to continuously grow and learn and also make a difference where we can. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot to unwrap there. So where do I begin? So the first thing that hit me as you were talking was, so there, there seems to be this kind of dichotomy, if you will. So there's kind of this top-down effort to kind of standardize and really say um, systemically manage the system, control what's going on. But at the same time, you, you referred to like you going out and looking at things in Hong Kong or Japan. So if you come back, you've seen something that you just think is is awesome and you want to implement, right? You're kind of in the middle there somewhere, right? Mm. So so how does that work? Do you have to go to the Ministry of Education and say, you know, I saw this thing and I want to implement it? Or do you have the flexibility? You know, does a teacher or a, a principal or vice principal have the ability to, to implement something? How does that work in Singapore? Okay, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Eric. So what we have is a combination of top-down initiatives and support, as well as ground-up efforts. So there is, in, in, in the early years, like in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of standardization. But subsequently, there's a, it came with a more autonomy for schools. So schools have the autonomy to also, there's the national curriculum, but within the national curriculum, schools are given the autonomy to experiment, to innovate, to flourish. And teachers likewise are given 
that space to actually improve, to actually um, start their own initiatives and projects. In fact, that, that goes beyond just uh, teacher-based initiatives. Schools all were also given additional funds to develop their niche, niche areas of excellence, to experiment, to invest in a particular a, um, area of interest. So in that sense, um, there's a combination of leadership and direction, and as well as a lot of ground-up support for initiatives. And it's that combination that has led to, in that sense, the uh, growth of different interests and areas of excellence in different schools. So a school may be very strong in robotics, then another school could be in music. Uh, so then in a sense, we have different uh, good practices, mm -hmm. right? And then of course, that, that uh, diversity actually adds on to the color and uh, variety of learning and projects. So I think in, in Singapore, we, we in the earlier years, uh, we had our Prime Minister advocating TLLM. What's that? Which is teach less, learn more, right? Oh, so, so in that sense, less. it applies to, okay. I mean, it's not just covering the curriculum, not just teaching from the textbook, but, but really purposefully designing learning experiences that will engage the learners, that will spark that lifelong love for learning. So we had this TLLM initiative, right? Uh, and, how and long I, ago? Sorry, how long oh, ago was that? Uh, in more than 20 years ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah, more than 20 years ago. So it's an ongoing effort, right? To, to promote that learning, the culture of learning, right? And of course, in, in 1997, uh, education was so important that our prime minister actually highlighted another acronym. Right, Singapore, we have four of acronyms. It's called TSLN, which to, is to develop thinking schools and learning nation. So as a nation, we want to be constantly learning, constantly improving. And of course, we want our schools to be thinking schools, like to, to actively engage in our students and to constantly improve. So that's that's what uh, I guess. So back to your question, um, we, we, we provide that autonomy, we provide the flexibility within, at the same time, uh, a system that is uh, structured as well as supportive. Yeah. So you're still very focused on this, they call the primary school leaving examination or PSLE, another acronym, yes. right? That everybody uses, <laughs> yes. right? The, the PSLE. So, so tell me about that, because that also seems you know, almost contradictory Right? How do you focus on a standardized exam, but at the same time encourage less teaching and more learning? Okay, so the PSLE, Primary School Leaving Examinations, is a very important series of national examinations for students in, at, at the end of grade six or primary six, right? Still, students sit for these exams, uh, which cover the academic subjects, English, the mother tongue, whether it's Mandarin or Chinese, Malay or Tamil, right? So it's English, the mother tongue subjects, mathematics and science. So uh, it's an, an important way to actually determine the academic progress, the academic achievements. At the same time, the system has broadened, right, in, in, in various aspects to also consider other capabilities of the children. So in the years when I was uh, a principal, a vice principal and principal, the there were efforts to actually go beyond academics. So we had this initiative called uh, DSA, 
direct schools admission, right? Where school uh, secondary schools can decide to provide uh, admission opportunities to students based on a range of uh, capabilities that the students have. So the schools can decide. For example, if the schools would like emphasize or, or they, are, they are very strong in a particular sport, it could be hockey, for instance. So students who are good in hockey can be they can go for the interview selection and they can be given advanced uh, placement in the schools, right? So it could be in a range of sports. It could be in the aesthetics. It could be even leadership qualities or certain talents. So in that sense, that has in a way broadened the uh, assessment or admissions criteria. And that has given op students opportunities to develop their strengths or pursue their passions. In addition, to considering their academic performance. So I guess it's the academic performance still remains important. At the same time, schools are, have the autonomy to decide within certain parameters how the kind of students they would like to attract in advance, uh, the kind of talents they would like to nurture. So that that is uh, part of the evolution that we have. Yeah. And, and the good thing, okay, so it's a high stakes, it's, it still is, right? The, the fact is it's still a high stakes exam. At the same time, the system also recognizes that there are late bloomers, right? So the, the beauty of the current system is that we would like to identify and understand the child's performance and capabilities at this stage. At the same time, for a late bloomer, uh, the, the person can still flourish and there will still be multiple opportunities for the student to progress on to university. Uh, may, maybe the person may not go to the most competitive school. The, the student may flourish in a school that, that may not be the most competitive, but at the same time, the, all our schools are very well resourced. So the students can flourish in a school where it may not be uh, students of, uh, who are very competitive and highly and high academic achievers, but the talents and capabilities of students are still being nurtured. And given the, opportun the, the opportunities, the child can flourish and grow at a pace that he or she is comfortable and in time to come progress and move to higher education. So in that sense, we have what we call like bridges and ladders, right? That enable students to blossom and flourish. And we also recognize that students develop at different uh, different speeds at different points in life. So that is the current system based on my uh, personal yeah, description, right? Yeah. No, it's good. You got all the answers, Ben. <laughs> It's uh, it's uh, it's good. You got it all covered, and well, this is why I guess Singapore is so admired for the the system there because it it works. So one of the things that is a challenge, though, I know, and you know, certainly we have this problem, you know, here in Hong Kong, it's a concern, and uh, and we talk about it all over. I I hear about it, right? So this challenge of the privileged versus those with less access to resources, and particularly tutoring. Right. So uh, we see this in Hong Kong. I know this is an issue there as well. Families who are worried about this test, right? The standardized tests and that, you know, they want their kid to have every opportunity at the youngest possible age. So at like, you know, two or three years old, they're hiring tutors to tutor their kid towards uh, performing well in these academic standard exams. So how does Singapore try to balance that so you don't end up with this? say, divide, right? The privileged have access to these tutors, their kids perform well and get access to these better schools and programs and advancement opportunities. Yeah, thanks, Eric. I think this is an uh, ongoing uh, issue 
in in societies that value academic achievements and and high uh and quality outcomes right so there will be uh, this concern uh, among parents uh, in terms of the performance of the children they would like to invest in the child send the, the, the child for additional classes for tutor for additional tuition so for in, in Singapore I think the the ministry has tried to reduce the pressure especially in the early years so they have like uh they have removed exams in the earlier grades mm-hmm. right of course emphasis is more on formative assessment they tried to make it less pressurizing at the same time of course the PSLE still remains, right? Yes. So, so in schools, of course, the teachers work hard to provide the quality education to the students. At the same time, some students may need more support. So, um, and naturally, some students want to learn more, do, do even better. So they have tuition. So tuition is indeed still a big industry in Singapore, right? Our parents send to students for tuition in different subjects. Some now some parents also send their children for coaching in certain sports so that they can excel. Yeah. So it's uh yeah, I don't think it will end, but uh what has helped is uh in Singapore we have what we call the self-help groups. Like we have a, a group to support Chinese community, we have a group to support the Indian community, another group to support the Eurasians or in the Malays. So the self-help groups actually also provide tuition. So we recognize that some students may need more support and the self-help groups provide the tuition at very affordable grades. And if the child is from a needy family, it, it could almost be free, right? Yeah. So in that sense, uh, we have tried to level the playing field, right? Schools are well-resourced. Teachers are, are sent to the schools by the ministry. So you have a, teachers of... Um, I mean, they're all trained in the National Most of them are trained in the National Institute of Education and then they're sent to school. So in that sense, schools have, um, I would say, um, well-trained teachers, well-educated teachers who are motivated. In addition, we have, we provide, the, if the schools, uh, the students need after-school support, self-help groups also provide the quality support. So when I was uh, leading a school, we actually, I actually also, I recognized that my teachers were working hard. And I also, uh, I mean, I was also aware that some students need more support. So I actually worked with self-help groups. Hmm. Uh, and I, I was then in a school in a less wealthy neighborhood, right? So students had access to the additional support. And of course, with um, the emphasis on uh, different approaches, uh, different talents. So I had students who excelled in sports, did reasonably well, and they could go to a very popular school, for instance. So there are actually different entry points and different ways of uh, supporting the children. So in that sense, we try to reduce the gap between right. the have and have nots. So the less privileged will still have access to support. So I think that that's what we do in, in, in yeah. Singapore. And, and the quality of support provided by the self-help groups are actually pretty impressive because some of them are actually, some of these classes are taught by retired teachers, experienced retired teachers who would like to give back and nurture the students who, who, yeah. who are maybe from less wealthy families. So in that sense, it's this ongoing effort to reduce the gap between yeah. and also enable talents to flourish. So we had some of our leaders in the ministers in the cabinet, they were not from wealthy family originally. So that is, I guess, part of the compassionate meritocracy that we are trying to develop in Singapore, where 
we would like to nurture uh, talents and based on performance, uh, we identify them. At the same time, there's this uh, caring culture where we help. Uh, it's not just based on sheer competition, but there's this compassion, this care for, for the people, and we help uplift society as a whole, both the, you know, from different walks in life, from, yeah. from people from different walks in life. All right. Well, it's all it's all so good. And <laughs> but there, there are still gaps, right? So that oh, yeah, have, I, I know. We, I know. We, we strive hard to, to, to build this compassionate meritocracy. Yeah. Cool. So I know we have limited time here. So I do want to ask a question about AI and mm. how this is changing things. And I, I went and I read the Singapore has an ed tech master plan going all the way out to 2030. It does talk explicitly about AI and adaptive learning models and, and stuff. So from your perspective, though, and you're now at Classen, how much is this really a game changer? Because people are talking about AI as a watershed moment. You've been around, you know, for 30 years here. You've seen some cycles in the in the technology advancements. Why is this one different? I believe in the power of technology. Uh, and, and I think that with AI, we are at this pivotal moment in our development where it, uh, the technology can truly be can be further harnessed to empower teachers to truly transform learning. Uh, at the same time, there will always be a place for educators, for teachers. So what is important at this point in time is to use AI in a purposeful manner, right? In an ethical, purposeful manner, where we and also to educate our teachers because it's a new tool. So how can we guide our teachers? How can we support our teachers in a way where they can use AI not to say um, stay away from AI, but to actively engage in the use of AI in such a way that it can the benefits of AI can then reach out to our students. In fact, even if teachers are not actively using AI, students will be some students will be using actively using ChatGPT, right? So it's not it's how can we as a community with our students and teachers think about best ways, good practices to use AI as a tool, right? To use generative AI in a purposeful manner for the, to benefit everybody. So in that sense, not to, it's not just to use ChatGPT to generate answers, but to probe deeply, to critique the answers provided by generative AI and ask better questions and to ver uh, verify the information, to actually critique what has been done and build on it. So it's, we are at this exciting stage where we can accelerate our efforts through the use of AI. And in class in, we are starting to also incorporate, integrate AI. So we have a range of tools uh, in addition to our in interactive capabilities. We have a range of tools. And now we are, in the coming year, we are exploring how we can use uh, a voice assistant to make it easier for teachers who would like to call out certain tools and use them with yep. our software and hardware. So in that sense, we believe in, uh, so class in, quick conclusion, we believe the company's name is actually EEO. And the product's name, the solution's name is called class in. EEO actually stands for Empowering Educators Online. Now it can also be on-site, right? right. Okay. Online. So basically it's how can we use AI to empower educators in an ethical, another E, 
an effective manner. And so in that way, we can then progress further. So that, that is the big challenge for us. Well, uh, it's an ongoing journey. And I would like to wish all listeners, all educators, all lifelong learners, all the very best in their journey. All right. Well, thank you so much. I know you have to jump off because you have another call, but thank you for your time, Edmund. This has been great. It's a it's a pleasure to talk with you. And I hope we bump into each other again soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Eric. It All was right. like, it's, it's a delightful conversation and I, I hope it's of help. And let's yes. catch up again soon. And I look forward to seeing you again, whether in Singapore, Hong Kong or elsewhere. All right. Thank you. Okay. There were so many great takeaways from this conversation with Edmund Lim that I'm not sure what to highlight. I think it's extremely significant that Singapore has placed great emphasis on teacher development and supporting and elevating the importance of teachers in their society. They've also recognized the need for both standards and flexibility to give schools autonomy to find and embrace the unique talents and abilities of their students. I love the bit about recognizing that students blossom at different times and that end at their own pace. So even though the PSLE is always given at the end of grade six, students' opportunities are not constrained by their academic achievements at that age. It's a benchmark, but not a make or break event in their future opportunities for advanced education. With every conversation I have for this podcast, I learn new things and meet new and interesting people who are advancing education. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to share these conversations and learning with all of you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more inspirational guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation in education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening to the Education Innovators Podcast. And thanks to all those education innovators out there, you are making a difference.